This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. If you thought the last several months of leftist riots and looting and statue destruction wasn't bad enough, mm, it's going to get worse. So fasten your seatbelts, because if Joe Biden is elected president in November, he has vowed to get behind a plan that would destroy America's suburbs. And that is no exaggeration. It is all part of Biden's proposal for the 2020 Democrat Party platform, and it's all tied to the radical Obama era AFFH regulation which stands for Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing. Believe it or not, Biden's proposal takes that already horrendous regulation a step further with plans to eliminate single-family zoning. How are they planning on doing this? We're going to get the details now from Tom DeWeese, who is president of the American Policy Center and author of Sustainable, The War on Free Enterprise, Private Property, and Individuals. Tom, it's so great to welcome you back. Thank you for being with us again. My pleasure, Janet. Thank you very much. Yes, I know you and I have discussed the AFFH rule on numerous occasions. You've been warning people about this for a very long time. But just briefly, for listeners who aren't familiar with this, what does this rule do and why is it such a terrible rule for for anybody, you know, if they're living in the suburbs to begin with? Under the Obama era, we were dealing with it. Now Biden wants to ramp it up again. Yeah, it's... Um got several details to it. Uh, One of them is if a community is uh, seeking a HUD grant, uh, HUD then uh, tells them that they've got to uh, do a, they've got to do a major report on a complete breakdown of the race, the income levels, religion, national origin of every single person living uh, in their community. And they've got to do that every five years. And they've got to have a detailed plan showing how the community intends to eliminate uh, any contributing factors uh, for uh, discrimination, that sort of thing, what they call an imbalance. And uh, then what's, what's really interesting here as they, as they go through this is that if a community fails to comply with that, they can be sued by HUD, and essentially your city councilman will no longer run your community, but HUD will because you're out of compliance. Mm. And so it just goes on and on with all these kinds of details of looking into every single aspect of the community and determining how it will develop and uh you know, what means it will take to do that. Yeah. Now, what's weird about this is Ben Carson is now heading up HUD, and we all had high expectations that when Ben Carson was put into that position, we would be free of the AFFH role, that he would get rid of it. As I understand it, he hasn't done that. Why is that? Well, for one reason, about 90% of the employees at HUD are Obama holdovers, and that includes his chief of staff, a lady named Sheila Greenwood. And uh, uh, last year, we put out an action alert because we found out that uh, HUD had uh, nominated a guy named Neil Ratcliffe 
to be the Assistant Secretary of Community Planning uh, and Development at HUD, which, which would oversee the AFFH thing. Well, Neil Ratcliffe was the former Director of Public Housing for Houston, uh, and he works for, he's a partner in a law firm called Lord, uh, Lock Lord, and their whole uh, base of their, of their firm is pushing community and economic development. In other words, Neil Ratcliffe is the swamp, mm-hmm. and the Trump administration uh, nominated him, and he was put in place to be there. Uh, ben Carson has done everything he can to put the brakes on it and to, to drag his feet and not do things with it, but uh, he has all this underneath that is pushing and they're refusing to listen to him, and they're working to put this in place anyway. Yeah, but if he's the boss and Trump is his boss and Trump wants this thing gone, why can't the bosses no. prevail like in a normal employment situation? I have that exact same question, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's the way it's gone. Now I understand that, threat, uh, that Trump is uh, threatening to uh, finally scrap this. Maybe yeah. he's finally starting to take... I, the only excuse I can give you, Janet, is that he has been under siege so badly since the day he took office. You've got to pick your battles. And uh, so if, if, you know, if uh, Carson has been uh, dragging his feet on this and trying not to have it implemented, that's a start. Yeah. But it's coming at him from every direction. Yeah, I think President Trump actually tweeted something out about that and said he may end it. And I'm thinking, can we change that verb to will instead yeah. of may? So we'll see what happens with that. But as far as Joe Biden goes, Tom, tell us a little bit about his radical plans, because he wants to enforce the AFFH rule if elected. But I understand he also is wanting to go further and embrace Cory Booker's idea that would eventually get rid of single family uh, zoning in the suburbs what is up with that yeah it's it's really interesting the uh what he's planning to do uh where my note go here it is uh the uh this is from the biden uh website it says communities of color are disproportionately impacted by the failure in our housing markets with home ownership rates for black and latino individuals falling to far below the rate of the white individuals and uh, it goes on to say, because home ownership is how many families save and build wealth, these racial disparities in home ownership contribute to the racial wealth gap. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the, what Cory Booker is trying to do has already been done in uh, cities like Minneapolis and uh, the state of Oregon. What they have focused on is uh, they, they keep talking about we've got to have fair housing, we've got to have affordable housing, and they're looking at single-family neighborhoods where people have bought their homes, they have worked hard. The, the way that, um, that uh, America has become the wealthiest nation on earth, the reason that we soared past ancient cultures to, uh, to achieve that in a very short period of time is because of private property ownership. And private property ownership, one of the main things you get from that is equity. As, as you pay down on your mortgage, as the property uh, increases in value, you have that equity. Sixty percent of the businesses in this country were started by people using the equity in, in their uh, property as loans to you know, get the business started. That's how we built the economy. And uh, here is Biden saying you know, that very thing. This is how people got wealthy. 
But the first thing they want to do, what they've done in Minneapolis, what they've done in, in several other cities in the state of Oregon, is they have removed uh, protection, uh, zoning protection for single-family neighborhoods. The very first thing that does is destroy the equity, the value of the property. Right. The second thing it does is open up your neighborhood so that you, uh, they can move in these stack-and-pack high-rises and so forth into uh, every single neighborhood. They will sit there in Oregon. They said, oh, we have a housing crisis, so we don't have enough housing. We've got to do something about that. The housing crisis was created by their plans, uh, particularly in Portland, in Portland, where they put urban growth boundaries around and said no growth will take place outside of this, uh, of this area. Uh, that's all wilderness, you understand. That's for the that's for the uh, you know the wildlife. So, meanwhile, in the period of twenty years that they did that, the population of Portland grew by eighty percent. Now they have a housing crisis. They they don't have a housing crisis. They have a government crisis. Well, they look at those single family neighborhoods and their backyards where your children can play and so forth, and they go, "We could put a hundred families there." This is the plan that Joe Biden wants to put in place that will absolutely destroy private property, destroy the possibility of earning any kind of wealth off of your home. And what it will lead to is eventually, uh, you know, first of all, everything becomes rental properties. And then they want to put uh, a um, uh, rental uh, controls over the over the uh, what the landlords can charge for rent, uh, because that's only fair, you understand. And the end result will be private landlords will go out of business. And finally, all housing will be government housing. That's the ultimate plan that is being put in place here. All government, all housing will be government housing. I can't think of a bigger nightmare, but we got to talk more. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Tom DeWeese. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Back in a moment. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in the USA. When a mother chooses life, preborn centers are there to help with the baby's needs, counseling, and so much more, free of charge. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support Preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, there are some pundits who I think wisely say that if Americans really knew what Joe Biden wants to support if he becomes president when it comes to America's suburbs, they would be screaming and making sure that they got to the polls in November, even though they might have been inclined not even to vote. This would propel them to the voting booth. And I'm talking about Biden's plans for America's suburbs. Basically, his plan is to destroy them. And we're talking about it with Tom DeWeese, who is president of the American Policy Center and author of Sustainable. And we were talking about this AFFH rule, which Biden wants to have. This is an Obama era a rule that ties HUD grants to, you know, you can't discriminate and these sorts of things that we've been talking about, Tom, but also this Cory Booker plan. Now, talk a little bit about this Cory Booker plan, how this works, because as I understand it, the AFFH rule, they tie the HUD grants to all of these conditions, like you said before, but ultimately, if you refuse a HUD grant, you don't have to do it. But now Cory Booker, as I understand, wants to tie this to federal transportation dollars. Can you explain what what that's all about? Well, there are, are several uh, different grant programs, and the Department of Transportation is one of them. And you take them, you take the EPA, you take HUD, and all these kind of things based on environmental issues and so forth. And uh, one of the main issues in uh, with AFFH, with the uh, Sustainable Development Smart Growth Programs that are in almost every single community now, and their uh, development plans, uh, is to get people out of their cars and not not uh, you know have, have, and have public transportation for one thing, and uh, so you know buses, bicycles, t- and uh, taxis and that sort of thing, and uh, light rail trains, and everywhere this has been done. They have shown that all of this is an economic disaster for the community, Portland being the poster child for it, and people just aren't using the public transportation. But this is all, I I can show you grant after grant after grant that is designed to uh, control our uh, ability to travel on our own, and uh, then others are controlling how we build, what we build, what we build with, that sort of thing. It's all top-down control. And it's it, it, it's really interesting in the in the Biden uh, plan. Their principles for housing, uh, of course, the number one is that it'll be affordable, <sighs> and it says it won't be any more than thirty percent of their income. How do you dictate that? How do you decide that? Other than a federal grant, a federal program that that does it. But my favorite one is that it'll be stable housing, and they go on to say this. Uh, providing families with the consistency they need to maintain jobs, perform well in school, and develop social networks necessary for well-being. What? 
That's <laughs> insane. That? That's you're insane. You're going to have a government program that's going to tell you how you're going to do well in school. Yeah. Isn't that kind of an individual thing? You get out of our lives already. you got enough problems on the table that need to be solved rather than creating new ones for everybody. Yeah. And they go, they go on to say uh, that... Uh, that the, all the, home, the housing they're going to put up will be located near good schools with a reasonable commute to their jobs. Now think about this for a minute. They're all going to be good schools with a reasonable commute to their jobs. How is that done? That's only done by putting everything in exactly the same place, that you have the stack and pack high rises, and so everybody's living and going up because there's no room to go out. Yeah. And then we have on those, in those same buildings, you will have office, uh, offices there, you will have stores, you will, so that could be some of the jobs, that could be where your shopping is done, you don't have to take any kind of transportation. And, uh, you know, so everything is surrounded right in one little, maybe three mile area or something to accomplish that. So. That's that's what he's proposing here. Well, that would be a great combo with defunding the police and sending in social workers for any kind of social unrest that breaks out. That sounds like a tremendous combination. Yeah. You know what else goes along with that? Take a look at all of the lockdowns on COVID. Yep. And where has it been? In the cities where the highest population is. And all of these plans are designed to run people out of the rural areas where people have been safe and healthy and so forth and run them into the cities where there's any kind of a disease like that, if it's real, can fester on, on, you know, the most people. So their very plans for all this wonderful utopia they're planning is the very reason why we would have uh, a miserable, miserable life. It's horrible. And the AFFH rule, if I'm remembering correctly, would actually force suburbs to add, I think, as you mentioned before, Section 8 housing. So how can they make suburbs build Section 8 housing? Well, they basically what they end up doing is they uh, just make it so that the property values plummet and, uh, and, and people leave. And then when they leave, they can't sell them. So they and probably the government comes in and takes over the housing and so forth, tears it down, and then builds it there. In uh, Baltimore, the NAACP filed a lawsuit against the city charging that Section 8 public housing uh, causes ghettos. Golly, you think? <laughs> oh, man. And so they won this lawsuit, which forced... Uh, Baltimore to spend several million dollars of taxpayer money to begin to build Section 8 housing in single-family neighborhoods. And another thing that came out of that lawsuit was that landlords were no longer allowed to ask a potential renter if they could afford the rent. That is racist. Unreal. Then we have the, uh, that little boy who runs Minneapolis, Uh, if you've seen him on television, Uh, he actually said that people living in single-family zoning with that protection are self-segregating themselves from people they don't want to live next door to, so that is racist. So this is the attacks that we have seen. It's it's come out in Chicago, of course, it's come out in California, and so forth, and uh, this is what's behind the Cory Booker bill, this is what AFFH leads to, this is sustainable development, smart growth. Every single community in this country has a comprehensive development plan based on these ideas. 
It's crazy. And and the Booker thing would be tied to federal transportation grants, which would be more difficult for suburbs to refuse. But a couple questions come to mind here, Tom. One is, where's Congress? Why are we all held hostage to this kind of insane system? And number two, what about the self-governance that suburbs have to determine what they allow in their own communities via you know an entity like a city council? No. Well, first of all, Congress is run by Nancy Pelosi, and uh, she's all for all of this anyway, so she won't hear of anything trying to roll any of this back. Uh, second thing, in these local communities and so forth, what you're seeing created is uh, regionalism. And you, you'll hear it said uh, when they start to do this that, well, we all, all these different communities have a lot of the same problems, and we can... Uh, solve them much quicker, much more easily if we all get together and discuss them. And what you end up now with is a regionalism that will have 10, 15, 16 counties all in the same region. And then you have appointed people sitting on these boards, not elected. I don't care if they are an elected city councilman or a county commissioner or whatever. They were not elected to that board. That allows them to hide in the back room and stay out of the way of, of uh uh, you know, any kind of public scrutiny. And they be, they're the ones that will apply for the grants that now affect every community in the region. Even if you voted for and elected a city council that didn't agree with it, all of a sudden you find out you're stuck with it. And uh, I, I, just one example of how this works. Um, I wrote several years ago about uh, a lady in Dayton, Ohio, uh, who um, had her property was absolutely destroyed as they were widening a road in front of her property and they put a, a bike lane, it was a bike highway, that went right down the center of her, of her you know, took out her entire front yard and this runs within seven feet of her front door. And she went to the county commissioners and they, they said, oh, we, we didn't do that. Um, the, uh, the regional uh, group did. Mm. And she goes to the regional group and said, oh, all we did was apply for the, for the grant. Bottom line is nobody was responsible. Good grief. And that's what yeah. the future could look like if we see a Biden plan put into place. Well, yeah. When you say that shocking line that you did earlier, Tom, that all housing would be government housing at some point if the Biden plan is put into place. Of course, the next question is, is it stoppable? Obviously, when you talk about the election, that could be stoppable. But given all of the progressives who are already on board with these things, what do we do about it? I'll tell you what, I, I'm encouraged by something uh, that has happened here. As we, I've, I've talked uh, many, many times uh, about local, fighting back on the local and the state levels. Right. It can be stopped there. And everybody gets all excited about dealing with Congress and, and particularly dealing with the president. I, I, you know, the congressional or presidential campaigns. I, I keep hearing everybody saying, can Trump win? Can Trump win? But if Donald Trump does manage to win, but we have not focused on the local and the state level and, of course, Congress, then I've said before he won't get through his inaugural address before they've thrown him out of office. He's got to have backup. He's got to have people involved. What we're talking about here is your home. Where is your home? In your community. That is where to start the fight. I'm now seeing more people starting to get that. I'm getting more calls from elected officials saying, what do we do? And this is what we're, we're, we're focusing on right now with a, uh, a major uh, campaign we're, we're putting together to help train local activists on how to fight back. There are ways to do that. Uh, first of all, is it uh, 
no community has to take these grants. And you can, uh, you know, get some people elected who understand that and uh, be very careful how they do that or if they do it at all. And uh, But this is where we need to start. And I'm seeing opportunity now to be able to move, move in that direction. But that's what we've got to focus. We've got to, change, we've got to change the debate, change the way we're looking at things. Well, you have been awesome on this for a long time, Tom. And I know that there are many, many Americans who have been very grateful for your research and all of the things that you've taught us about what's coming down the pike. It's the only way to inform people um, so they can get into action and fight back against it. You can visit AmericanPolicy.org, the American Policy Center, headed up by Tom DeWeese, who's been with us. Tom, thank you again. Always great to have you with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Okay. God bless. We'll be right back. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Pastor Andy Stanley of North Point Community Church in Georgia has just announced his church will be closed for the rest of the year due to the coronavirus. And one of the reasons he cited for that decision was the inability of the church, which has several campuses, to do contact tracing. Now, this is the process that states have instituted to try to trace everybody that a COVID-19 positive patient has come into contact with. And it's all in an effort ostensibly to try to slow the spread of the virus. But ironically, a a lot of the contact tracing efforts that have been launched, including in the state of Georgia, aren't going so well. You had one public health professor at Georgia State telling the media there's no way to keep up with the tracing cases. Florida isn't keeping up. And worse, in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott has been sued in federal court for doing this controversial $295 million contact tracing program. And it has more than 1,500 co-plaintiffs in this lawsuit saying the program violates the provisions of the first the 4th and the 14th Amendments. Well, my next guest has been following this issue of contact tracing and is warning that your governors, red or blue, are coming after you on this. So we're going to talk about it now with veteran investigative reporter Leo Homan, author of Stealth Invasion. Leo, great to talk to you again. Oh, thank you very much, Janet. Several weeks ago, you actually interviewed a man from Texas. I just kind of was slack-jawed when I was reading this account about what happened to him because of the contact tracing program in Texas. Can you tell people a little bit about an individual's experience here in Texas on contact tracing? Uh, Yeah, this uh, gentleman, James Daggett, had two officers show up at his door uh, in middle of May. Uh, one had a gun on his side. I th- he thinks that gentleman was uh, either a sheriff's deputy or constable, and the other one had a white uniform on, probably from the local health department. And they handed when he answered the door, they handed him an envelope with which contained a court order that he was to be uh, locked down in his house for the next 14 days. Um, and that he had to turn over a list of all of his personal contacts, their addresses, their emails, 
and so on. It was part of the contact tracing uh, program that Governor Abbott had uh, engendered there in the state of Texas uh, with a multi-million dollar contract with the New York firm to uh, handle this. It also involves uh, getting a an app on your phone to that would trace your movement in case you you know so they would know if you were breaking the lockdown order. And he had tested positive, um, you know, for the virus. He had mild symptoms for about three days and was fine. Um, But you think of it, you know, we think of, you know, we have a history in this country of allowing quarantines of sick people. But this program, Janet, goes way beyond that. Uh, He refused to turn over his all of his personal contacts other than those at his workplace. Um, which his employer was on board with this, so he felt, you know, okay with giving a list of his coworkers that he'd been in contact. All it takes, by the way, is to be within six feet of someone for 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the state. Some it's 10, 10 minutes, other states it's 15 minutes. Uh, and, and that you are then, uh, you are then su- supposedly, you know, at risk of having the disease, whether you have it or not. You're, you are then going to be ordered into quarantine, which is a form of house arrest, yeah. for the next 14 days. So we have got thousands of people in America today being forced to stay in their homes who have no disease whatsoever, uh, only be based on somebody's word, based on one person's word, that they could have the disease or could get the disease within the next 14 days. Wow. That is scary that the people showing up at your door and handing you a court order and threatening you because you could be fined, right, if you defy the order? Well, see, that's the thing, Janet. When this when when we first heard about contact tracing in early May, what did we hear? All of the governors, all of the spokesmen for the governors, the PR people, the mainstream media, they were all saying that this would be voluntary. (laughs) And anyone who said it wasn't voluntary was said to be a conspiracy theorist. Don't listen to them. My article that you're referring to came out on May 29th. I was referred to as a conspiracy theorist. Uh, Even though I have all the documents for Texas and the state of Georgia... The state of Georgia tried to tell me it was voluntary on their website. It did until I pinned them down, and 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 got the form finally after several requests. I have it right here in front of me. Order for home quarantine. This is what you will be handed if you are um, fingered by someone else uh, as possibly having been in contact with them who is positive. You will be handed this form, and it's a one, two, three page form. And on page two, it says, take notice in all bold letters, bold uh, it says, take notice, bold caps, that failure to comply with this quarantine order is a misdemeanor offense pursuant to OCGA 31-5-8. And then on the, the final page, it says in all caps, warning, failure to comply with this order may subject you to further action by the department Georgia Department of Health, including a court order for involuntary detention in an appropriate facility other than your home or such other action as the department may deem necessary to protect the public's health. That doesn't sound voluntary. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound too voluntary to me. We're going to take you and put you in a facility. Yeah. And nobody, by the way, now, you know, uh, 
almost a month later, or well, more than a month later, nobody, you will read, nobody now saying that this is involuntary. But That's while they were trying ridiculous. to get it in place, see, it was, it was sold as voluntary. Yeah, the old bait and switch. Well, this ed- now, now that it is in place, oh, uh, by the way, we were wrong. It's not, it's not voluntary. Unbelievable. Well, this MTX group partners with Google and Salesforce to data mine the public and store their data forever in the Google Cloud. That's what you've said about this company that was hired for almost $300 million in Texas without legislative oversight. Exactly. This is what you call a public-private partnership, Uh, Janet. uh, It's the new rage in the way governments do business. They're able to shirk a lot of their responsibilities by putting off on a private company. They're able to shield much of the information from open records laws. Um, And it's really devious. It's really devious. And we've got companies making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars off of this right now. And and they have employed, the goal is to employ 100,000 of these contact tracers nationwide. There were 4,000 in Texas alone, and I think about 2,025, about 2,000 in Georgia. That's amazing. And, and you know, it's interesting. I was looking at this uh, reference here to State Representative Brooks Landgraf of Odessa, Texas, who expressed concerns about this contact tracing program in Texas, that the contract with this company was signed without any collaboration with the public or the legislature. And what really raises red flags here, Leo, for people who aren't aware of Governor Greg Abbott, who is my governor, He's one of the reddest governors in the country. If Greg Abbott is doing this kind of garbage, what should people fear in blue states with contact tracing? Yes, uh, this is going on, to my knowledge, I haven't been able to find a single state where it's not taking place to one extent or another. But you're right, it is even worse in many of the blue states like Washington state they uh they'll take people's dog they'll even take people's pets away oh no yes and, and there are instances of people being removed from their homes in states like that why would they um, wait why would they take their pets away i know we have the squirrel who caught the bubonic plague this week but why in the world would they take your pet away there's been cases of dogs catching a coronavirus oh my word unbelievable <laughs> uh, where are we living you know, anymore some people that's the only uh sense of peace and relaxation they have when they're in quarantine and they can't see any of their friends and family they you know they depend more than ever on their pet and and they can't even have that in many of these states well they could they could go out and they could protest with blm signs i mean i guess that would get you out of quarantine pretty quickly because nobody seems very interested in clamping down on those guys it's you know it's really disturbing lots more to talk about we'll pause for a quick break coming back with leo homan talking about this contact tracing over the coronavirus. Uh, Very scary. We'll be back. This 
This is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. That's the theme of our new campaign. And our shared goal is to send 1,200 Bibles, both to new believers and to those who've been praying many years for their own Bible in countries like China, India, and Nepal. Imagine strengthening the faith of a new believer in China like Washi, a 30-year-old wife and mother of two who overcame illiteracy two years ago and is yearning to read her very own Bible. Or Jirish, an 80-year-old man in India who followed Hinduism for decades but is now a new Christian determined to follow Jesus Christ. You can join the Janet Mefford listening family in sending a Bible for only $5 or $20 for $100. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back, and it is the case that we're seeing more states implement contact tracing. It's all the rage. We hear discussion about apps and people at your door, and Leo Homan has written about this over at leohoman.com. He's a veteran investigative reporter, writes great stuff, and is author of Stealth Invasion. And we've seen things, Leo, like what we've been talking about in Texas, where this federal lawsuit was filed against Governor Abbott and some other officials over their contact tracing program, which they say violates multiple constitutional amendments. Then you have the Trace Act, the federal piece of legislation that Bobby Rush introduced, that's got about 50 co-sponsors at last look. And then you have this development in some of these states of apps. What what can you tell us, if anything, about how the development of the apps would work? Uh, Because a lot of people are resistant to that over the issues of private data and having data shared. How, How scared should people be about their privacy if they're using contact tracing apps? They should be very scared, Janet. Uh, these apps are, you know, highly advanced to trace you, uh, whether it's the Apple app or the Google one. Um, you know, it, it, cell phone, the modern smartphone in general is, if you don't want the government to know where you're going, you better not bring your smartphone with you. Right. But, uh, you know, and by the way, all of the modern smartphones, at least on Apple, I'm not sure about the Androids because I don't have an Android, but a couple of weeks, about three or four weeks ago, we all ended up with the COVID-19 app automatically in our phone. Yeah. Now, we could, we, could, we could choose to disable it, which I did, 
but a lot of people who have their phone set on automatic update, their phone, when it updated, downloaded the app mm. automatically, and they don't even know it. Good grief. That's yes. scary because that's, you know, they're doing it for your own good. But how much bad has been done in the world with governments doing things for your own good? Well, this whole contact tracing scheme came, was born out of the John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security, which, you know, has been kind of at the apex of this whole COVID-19 response. Yes. Which, in my opinion, has been uh, a classic case of government overreach. Yep. They're the ones who came up with this whole contact tracing plan in a uh, document that was published April 10th. The lead author was Dr. Crystal Watson, and it's a very dishonest document because it says in here that uh, a national effort to scale up and expand local, state, and territorial case investigation and management is necessary before U.S. communities can begin to return to normal. If we can find nearly every case and trace the contacts of, e- the contacts of each case, it, it will be possible in time to relax the bluntest approaches, the extreme social distancing measures, such as stay-at-home orders, and realize the commensurate social and economic benefits. In other words, she's saying there in this document that if we can do this contact tracing, we'll be able to return to normal and be able to get rid of all this uh, extreme social distancing and stuff that we've been having to endure, government-imposed lockdowns and whatnot. We'll just, you know, isolate the very people we find who are positive and their contacts rather than sending everyone into lockdown. Well, Has that been the case? No. No. We no. see California now and, and other blue states heading back backwards in their reopening process back towards lockdown. Yeah. It didn't matter that they imposed imp- imposed the uh, contact tracing on people, they're still heading back towards lockdown. Why? Because they're blue states and they want to lock people down heading into the November election when they want to see President Trump not reelected. That's what this is all about. Bingo. That's exactly what it's about. Here's something else that really caught my eye. You had talked with John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute, great attorney, and he was talking about some of these very troubling aspects of what you've written about and mentions that once the state has your data and has turned it over to corporations, because as we mentioned before, groups like MTX Group partner with Google and Salesforce, there's data mining involved, the Amazon cloud, all that kind of stuff. Once they have your data, you could then be vulnerable to them targeting you for various medical treatments. Now, the next thing that comes to mind is this looming prospect of a vaccine. And there are a lot of people already worried. Are they going to force us to take a vaccine in order to return to school and those sorts of things? I think that is where we're heading. I honestly do, Janet. I mean, you're seeing how they're ramping up with more force every day, these mask requirements. Yes. You know, Walmart just today announced uh, no mask, no service. Yep. Um, joining many other big box department stores. Uh, it's, it's looking like pretty soon you will not be able to shop for food or necessities, other any necessities, without wearing a mask. And uh, if they can do that, then why can't they do the same thing with the vaccine? I, I see no difference whatsoever. They're, they're, they're demanding that you dress a certain way, which is completely un-American, yep. in order to shop in their stores. Yep. yep. And so what is very different in that from demanding that someone show proof of vaccine 
before they enter your store. I don't see any difference. Right. Am I missing something? No, you're not. And in fact, I was interviewing an epidemiologist last week who was pointing out, going through all of the medical journals and all of the scientific data on masks, and said there's no scientific evidence for these masks, these cloth masks and these neck gaiters and things that people are allowed to wear and that's supposed to all protect us from COVID-19. In fact, it doesn't. It's just more of a social control situation. And and here's the the thing, too, Leo, and I'm I'm anxious to get your, your take on this. This is mostly a non-lethal pandemic. The overwhelming majority of people who do contract the coronavirus recover just fine. So how come we see so many Americans just going along with this? It's not like this is wiping out millions by the by the month. It's non-proportional. And I'm, I'm really curious why more people are not standing up just on the basis of that. Well, that's a very good question. I mean, if you had asked me a few months ago, if people would accept what they've already accepted, I would say no way. Uh, But if people will accept forced masking, they will accept forced quarantining of the healthy, and they've accepted that, you know, that what we've been talking about with the contact tracing, they will accept the vaccine. I I, I don't have much hope for that. Uh, I, I think many of them will reluctantly uh, raise their sleeve and allow the needle to be plunged into them, uh, containing without even really asking what what it contains or or whether it's been adequately tested. You know, because it's been rushed to market in in really like as President Trump says, warp speed. Yeah. Operation Warp Speed is the the sinister name given to this vaccine program, uh, and we know that coronavirus vaccines do not have a a history. I mean, this is this would be a first. Right. And so we should be extra cautious as to what is in this vaccine because it's not a known entity. And yet we see it being rushed to market with warp speed. Uh, and he says, the president says it, it won't be mandatory, it will be voluntary. Well, I have news for people. It won't be mandatory, meaning it won't be mandated by the government. But as we see with the masking, it will be demanded of people who enter stores, enter uh, hospitals, enter clinics, enter the dentist. Uh, You won't be able to do anything, people, unless you show proof of having the vaccine. And it won't be mandated by the government. It will be mandated by corporations. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. That's a really important point. And you see what's going on in California. They now had this order from Governor Newsom going into effect. Previously, for example, he told churches, you can't sing. You can't sing in your worship mm-hmm. services. Now he says, not only do you have to shut down your worship services again, there is no end date in sight as to when you will be able to reopen. It's totally up to the Department of Health, one particular person to decide when it's time. That is the most un-American thing of all. We're not talking to about, like I said before, a Spanish flu bubonic plague wipeout. We're talking about the coronavirus, which most people recover from. And again, it's just a means of keeping people under control. And that should scare us all as Americans. The recovery rate for coronavirus, COVID-19, is 99.7%. There it is. And or, at le- or higher. We're not even sure yet. It, but it's definitely not lower. Uh, and so to to do what they have done, to harm as many people as they have harmed with the reaction, the over-the-top reaction to this virus, 
I think history will be very critical of the way it's been handled. I think it will be considered criminal the way it's been handled because it has literally wiped out trillions of dollars in, in people's wealth. It has yep. led to 45 million people losing their jobs and rising. Uh, and there's still no end in sight yep. in terms of how it's going to change society. That's right. Well, check out Leo Homan's work at leohoman.com. Thanks a lot, Leo. Keep up the good work. Appreciate your being here. Thank you, Janet. All right. God bless. Wow. Great stuff. This hour, Janet Mafford today brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to needy Christians in Asia for $5. One Bible. 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or JanetMefford.com. We'll see you next time.